ago, I met this young man and his wife, and they were, they were brand newly married, and they uh, were connected in with the body of believers that I was part of. And um, immediately, I was just struck by his dedication to the Lord and his dedication to Jesus and his dedication to the local body. And um, we are blessed today to have Daniel Bethel and his wife with us later on today. Um, in, my, in my Bible this morning, when I opened up to Matthew chapter 28 to, to read that passage, I saw where I'd written a note that it said there are over 500 different ethnos groups in the country of Indonesia. I don't know why it happened to write that down, but I did on that, that note. And um, Daniel is here as a a missionary who serves in Southeast Asia. I'll let him share a little bit about that and where where he is in the world and and what he's doing. But but we are privileged today to have somebody, no pride intended, to have somebody that's out living what it really means to follow Jesus in a very difficult and challenging environment. We all are, but once in a while we come across people that have left all that this country has to offer to go and follow Jesus. And folks, that's, that's a hero of the faith that we need to honor and be challenged by. So Daniel, talk to us from God's word. All right. Are we live feeding just by any chance? No. Cool. Okay. I'm going to use all kinds of words then. Um, so I have to be careful for live feeding just because of where we're at. I appreciate the introduction. I'm going to turn it just a little bit. And one of the things that I want to highlight is, while we talk through this stuff, I want to show you some of the things that God has done, and I want to talk about what Carrie and I thought was going to happen, and how they, they didn't always match up. Because I, what I want you guys to think about, as Lowell's kind of started this challenge, is that it doesn't take special people to do mission work. It really doesn't. It just takes people who want to honor Jesus. And in the middle of that, it doesn't even take special people to do that because we're broken. And I want to share with you some of the ways that we had these ambitions. And God said, that's neat. That's a neat idea. How about, you, how about we work together and do this? And how God really used even our time overseas to form our hearts, to change who we are. And that's what's really cool about God. When he calls us to do something and he asks us to go reach someone, like your neighbor, he loves your neighbor, but he loves you just as much. And in the process of you reaching your neighbor, he's going to do new things in you that will surprise you too. So that's kind of part of the story. How many of you have, um, have read missionary biographies? Anybody? Okay, I got some missionary biographies out there. They're okay, I'm going to tell you right now. They don't really highlight real missionary life. They give you like the good stories. And sometimes they tell the hard stories as long as the hard story resulted in like God being honored. But I'm going to tell you that missionaries were kind of just like you. For example, once we kind of get in our country and we get settled, sometimes we have a hard time getting up in the morning and talking to people about Jesus. Because life gets settled there too, you know? It's the same thing. And we get focused on all kinds of stuff. And so that last song we sang, I just loved it because I thought, you know, that's exactly where we all need. It doesn't matter where we live, what we're called to. We just, we need Christ. And it's so easy for missionaries to start operating in their own strengths. I've done it. And we find ourselves trapped in this area where we're like, I'm good at this. I can handle this. And then God comes in and he wants to remind us. And so we've been, it says 11 years, but now it's getting close to 12 years that we've been in Indonesia. And what I want to communicate to you guys, as Carrie and I were thinking about, what do we tell our churches when we go back? One thing that we feel really strongly now, having gone through these 12 years, is that it's actually 
it's not our faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of people who pray for us that sustain the ministry and the things that happen in Indonesia. So we want to just share with you some of the things that in partnership with Centerpoint we think have happened and we've seen God do. And uh, so just a quick reminder, can you guys see that? Oh, that's, that's not, okay, but th- we are exactly on the other side of the world, literally the other side of the world, 12 time zones. It takes us about 36 hours to get there. And so if you want to come visit us, you're welcome. It takes you about two weeks to get used to being there. So you have to stay for at least three weeks just so you can enjoy that last week when you're there. But that's kind of where we're at in the world. And this is uh, a kind of a, a, a big blow up of Indonesia. And the, like Lowell was saying, and I want to highlight, the red dots on the screen represent unengaged, unreached people groups. That means that these are groups of people still in the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. There's no one there doing work, nothing in their language. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that that's still possible, but it really is. And so you can see there's still 78 people groups, over 4 million people in Indonesia that fit that category. And then in the other category, which is the yellow dots, that includes Bali, where we are, they're considered unengaged people groups, which means that there's less than 2% of the population that follows Jesus. And that makes up 202 million people of a nation of 260 million. It's unbelievable. But it, it's, it's where we're at. It's what we're engaging with, and it's, it's, it's what God can do. He wants to reach these people. And so there's a great need still in Indonesia. We just want to make sure that people are aware of that. But we've been in Indonesia, like I said, for 12 years. When we first got there, we did language for two years. We talked like three-year-olds. People laughed at us. And we went through that whole first thing that missionaries always go through. And we got to the end of two years, and we hadn't done anything. I mean, I kid you not, we had done nothing except for sit in language classes and learn and try to stumble through a few conversations about Jesus. And we just, that's gracious of you guys to let us do that. So that's the first two years, right? And then we had to figure out how we're going to stay in Indonesia. So we started a nonprofit, you guys have heard of it through the years, Access Life Bali. And through that nonprofit, um, it's, it, God has used it in amazing ways. We've seen hundreds of people. Um, with disabilities, receive wheelchairs and care. Thousands of people have received clean water. But the benefit of that, the benefit of that is that it allowed us to be in the villages. That's where we wanted to be. It allowed our national partners who we were training up and who were coming alongside us and ended up being better than us to also be in those villages. And through that nonprofit being at work, we were able to see over 500 Bible studies in the last 12 years. Now, this is where I want to do the little caveat. See, 500 Bible studies sounds really cool, right? But when we went to Indonesia, our strategy was very missionary-centric. It was very egotistical. And my idea was, I'm going to move into this neighborhood, and I'm going to start a church in this neighborhood. And, you know, my my teammate John, he had the same idea. We're going to, this is how we're going to do it. And we found out that we were terrible at sharing the gospel in Indonesia. We had all these tools and all these ideas, and they were all from America, and they were f- about Americans. And when we tried to share the gospel in that way with Indonesians, it was like nothing. And so God had to use that time to really work on our hearts. And we went through a pretty difficult two years where we just saw nothing happening. And finally, we were able to engage with some people who were using Creation to Christ Bible studies. And we had to, we had to, we had to say, we don't know what we're doing. We had to admit that. We had to deal with that. And then we learned this new opportunity. 
Uh, and, and what we realize is Balinese people, they don't know God's story. They have such a different belief. And, you know, that seems like a basic thing, okay? But it was something that we had to learn. It's something we had to go through. And so then we learned this new system, this new opportunity of sharing creation to Christ studies. And when we put more faith in God's word and the Holy Spirit than ourselves, that's when we started to actually see things happen. And, you know, you think, well, missionaries should know that. That should be something you understand. And I know that's true, but we really felt like we were going to do it. We were pretty, like, we thought we're going to go and reach these people. God, you're going to be really happy with us. And God used that time in our life, about two years, of really transitioning our hearts, of truly surrendering to him and saying, you know what, God, we can't do this. We don't know what we're doing. Can you help us? And there was a lot of prayer that went into that, and, and that was a transitional time. And when our hearts were finally in the right place, and we surrendered our ministry to Scripture and the Holy Spirit and really letting the, those Bible studies be the center, God really intervened, and he did some really neat things. And um, so, like I said, over 500 Bible studies in the last 12 years we've been able to track. And we then were asked and have had the opportunity to train in five different countries. And even in those countries, now we're starting to see that God has, we're training other, other missionaries and national workers, and they're now going through and using these same studies. And it's just great to see what God's done. And all we did was learn something from somebody and then tell some other people. You know what I mean? And so like for me to stand up here and say, we planted 500, we started 500 Bible studies, just would be really silly. But that's how simple discipleship is. It really is. We went to some people who understood things a little bit better than us. And they said, you guys should use Creation to Christ Bible studies. And we said, that's a great idea. We started using Creation to Christ Bible studies. And then some other people saw that it was effective. And they said, can you teach this? And we just literally went and told them the same things that we, already, that we had just learned. And God went and used those things. And that is what, that's what's awesome about God. He uses simple people who are just obedient and willing to take what they know and just tell someone else. And when that happens, and we do that over and over and over, it, it leads to people coming to know Jesus. And so that's what happened. And so these are two pictures showing you examples of what a Bible study might look like in Bali, Indonesia. They don't invite people into their homes because their inside is really usually just one or two bedrooms. It's so hot that during the day, they have these kind of verandas or porches, and that's where everybody spends most of their time. So the Bible studies take place there, sitting mostly on the ground. And uh, so that's what God has done through that nonprofit, opening these doors for us to get into these communities. That has led to um, one house church that we were directly involved with as a team on the south side of the island. This is the pastor and his wife. And then on the north side of the island, the picture on your right is a group of people that get together once every two months. Um, Our team started reaching out to people working around the island who were like-minded. And we said, let's get together once every two months and we'll have what we'll call a round table where we will say, what's going well, what's not going well, how can we encourage each other? And uh, through that network now, we've seen three more church plants on the north side of the island. So it's just really neat to see, again, that God is using that in amazing ways. And a lot of the guys who come to the, the, the bi-monthly meeting, they said this is the one place where they feel like they're understood, especially the national partners. Because we're doing uh, Bible studies in homes, and we're planning house churches. Because to get the permit, you guys are going through this here, but to get a permit to plan to build a church in Indonesia is almost undoable at this point. If you want to have a mosque or if you want to have a temple, you can start building it today, get permits tomorrow. But if you want to have a church, you have to get the people 
who live all around the entire property. Every single individual has to sign off, yes, we're willing to let a church be built here. So it's, it's like I said, it's nearly an impossible task. So we're going, to, we're going in the homes doing house churches, but there, you still have this very, very small, yet it exists, traditional church. And they, they're, they're, they're resistant to these ideas because they're, they are from people groups that are traditionally Christian, from Portuguese influence and Catholic. And so when they look at that, they say, that's not a real church. Because to them, particularly in the Catholic tradition, a church is, it's like a temple, you know. And so there's this resistance, but this is the one place when they come to our bi-monthly meetings, they feel like we, you get us, we get you, and, and it's been a really encouraging time. So uh, that's catching up on the house churches. And then our family. Um, you guys have stood with us now for a long time, and we just want to say that we appreciate it, we value it, and for, for missionaries, it's, we're in this kind of awkward position where we, we, we get money, and that's how we live, and it's from you. And so at the same time, we, we, we appreciate it and we value it, but the truth is my kids eat food because you guys give us money. You know what I mean? And our kids go to school because you allow for that opportunity to happen. And so we don't know how to say thank you enough. That's, I'll just tell you that. There's not a missionary out there that knows how to say thank you enough to the people who do that for them. But all we can do is express our true heart thanks that what you do helps us to be there. Also, in 2015, we went through this really hard time where we lost our visa with the nonprofit. And the, the, we, we, the, the government wouldn't give us that visa, so we went on these temporary visas. Every 30 days, we were in and out of the country, flying to Singapore, flying to Malaysia. And then we came in, and one of the government officials, immigration, said, if you do this again, we're not going to let you back in the country. So then we, it was really difficult. And the only thing in, that, that sustained us during that time was the fact that you guys were praying for us. And we know that. I mean, if we had been there working for, like, Shell Oil, we would have been like, forget it. <laughs> We're going home to America. This is dumb. But you're, you're, the confidence that we had at that time, because we, li- we didn't know, is God telling us to leave the country through this circumstance, or is he wanting us to be faithful and to persist? And all we could do is pray and trust that you were praying with us. And what God did in that time is he uh, provided this opportunity, which we'll call BAM, which is business as mission. And a man in Florida who has retired and is fairly wealthy he's, and loves Jesus, bought a consulting company in Indonesia. And he appointed myself and another guy named Steve as the directors of the consulting company. And so we're able to stay in the country. We are able to continue working with the church planning. And our, my job when I'm not doing church planning is to help other missionaries start businesses in Indonesia. And so this is how we could be in the country. This is the way that what, what Indonesia wants is people who pay taxes. When you work for a nonprofit, you don't pay taxes. So as long as you have a business that's making even just a little bit of money and you pay personal income tax and the business pays tax, you can stay there as long as you want. And so we're helping other people do that. And uh, so that's the opportunity that God has provided. And through that business, this has been awesome. And in just in a year and a half, We've been able to sponsor 50 missionaries who have finished language study for a year. Our business can give them a one-year business research visa. So they can move from their language school to the people group that they want to work with, and for a year they can be there, look around, and figure out what is the best opportunity to stay in this place. 
it's a huge opportunity in the missionary world. It, missionaries look for these opportunities. How can we go there just for a year to figure out what to do? And we can just, we can just help them do it now. It's really cool. So we've done that with 50, over 50 people. We've launched, incubated 10 different business as mission opportunities out of our office now. And so we're excited that God is letting us participate in that. All kinds of stuff from um, CrossFit gym to a technology company working with hospital software, um, a destination wedding for Australians business, all kinds of different stuff that lets us be there. And that's the big thing. We get to be in the country and we get to talk to people about Jesus. And what we found is with the business opportunities, whereas with the nonprofit, our primary work was with all low-income people, very low. I'm talking about $2 a day people. But with the business now, it's a, it's a really interesting. We're actually interacting and rubbing shoulders with more middle-class people. And it's very interesting that God has opened those doors for us. The, the nonprofit is still going. It's now 100% run by national believers. And uh, I work with the board on that kind of side of things. So that's still going. Those opportunities are still going. But then now uh, I'm primarily focused on the business side that lets us continue to be in the country and do the church planning. So just a real quick summary. What is business as mission? It is, we like to call it businesses accelerating movements. I like that better than business as mission. It's a little more clear. We're creating businesses that let us be in places so that the movement of the gospel can continue to go forward. And so our company is called Core Solutions Indonesia. We work with primarily missionaries. 30, about 30% of our clients are just secular. Like we did an Indian restaurant for a guy from India. And uh, he, you know, if you want to come have some Indian food in Bali, I can point you to him. But about, about 70% of our clients are missionaries and we're helping them. And the big thing that we're doing, BAM has failed in two ways when it fails. Either it's a storefront and there's no actual business happening and, it, and, and there's an ethical issue there. And Indonesians look at that and they say, what, what's that? And then, and then they don't really want to believe anything else you have to say because you're sort of giving this false front. The other way is the business actually goes really well and then the gospel kind of gets left out. So what we have worked really hard is the ministry integration piece. So we help people develop business plans that have a dual bottom line where they're saying, this is what the business is going to do to keep us here, and this is how we're going to be reaching people. And with our experience in the country, a lot of the times we're actually training them in the discovery Bible studies. So we're actually giving the, these other missionaries the opportunity to engage with that same system. And so that's, that's sort of in a nutshell what we're doing uh, and that's how we can stay in the country. So that's how God has provided for us. So just a big thank you to you guys. I hope that gives you a sense of being caught up on what we're doing. Carrie will be here, like I said, at the end with Chase and Shay. And so she'll be at the table. She'll be here in time to be at the table. Make sure you come and say hi to her. Um, right now, I, I want to transition real quick. And I want to leave you guys with a challenge, something that God used in our life, kind of in that transitional time. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 9 through 13. When I was in um, youth group growing up, there was this illustration that we used all the time. They would put a stool, kind of like this, or a chair, and they'd have a kid stand on the stool or the chair, and then they'd put two kids next to him. Anybody seen this illustration? So then they would have them try to pull that person off the chair or the stool, and what do you think would happen? Would the person come off the chair or not come off the chair? Two people pulling on him comes off the chair, right? So the illustration was that's why you should have Christian friends because if you don't, if you don't spend all your time with Christians, you're going to get influenced and you're going to get pulled off because you're on that wobbly stool. 
you know, you get influenced. Be careful. And I get the illustration, and I, I think there's some truth to it, but what, I, what, I, what happened to me, I'll be too honest, I became a very fearful follower of Jesus. And I grew up with this idea that, oh my goodness, you can't know people who don't know Jesus, or you're going to get pulled off of the stool. And so what, what I think has happened, and happened to me, is I grew up thinking, you can't spend time with unbelievers. That's the worst possible thing you can do. Has anyone else, did anyone else ever feel that growing up at all? No, not getting that from anybody? Okay, a couple people. I see someone back there. And I think what we did, we've done unintentionally in the church is we've created an attitude of fear. Now, here's what the Bible says, though. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And there's a great hymn of the faith that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So I'm thinking if people are on wobbly stools, it's people who don't know Jesus, not people who know Jesus. And if anything, we should be pulling them easily off of their wobbly stools. And I, and I want to encourage us to change our mindset. I want to encourage us to change the way that we think about people who don't know Jesus. And there's a really, really huge illustration that recently happened in the news in Australia. So I'm going to catch you up on it. The greatest rugby player ever, okay? The Michael Jordan of rugby. Have anybody heard this story yet? The Michael Jordan of rugby currently playing in Australia he put 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 on his Instagram. Now, if you're not sure what 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, let me give you a little briefer. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the verse that he chose to put on his Instagram. What do you think happened to him? He got fired from his team. He got fired from the national Australian rugby team. He lost all of his endorsement deals. He is done. Finished. Okay? But I want, you to, I want to read the next verse to you. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That was 9 and 10. Look, look at verse 11. As such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you want to know that the actual purpose of that verse is to contrast grace for people inside the church? Do you get it? That verse isn't for people who don't know Jesus. That's not the point of this verse. The point of this verse is to say to people who were in the Corinthian church, you used to be like that, but Jesus saved you from that. Okay, this is really, really important because I want to jump to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, and I want, you, I want us to really hear something here from God's word that I think is going to be really important for what Lowell's talking about for your next phase of church. So jump back one chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, really bad scenario, okay? We're talking about incest. It was ugly. It was, it was bad. Bad stuff happening in the 1 Corinthians church. Apparently, there was a letter written before 1 Corinthians that we don't get to read where Paul said, you shouldn't be associating with the people practicing those wrong things. So we pick up in verse 9, and Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, 1 Corinthians 9, 5, chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he must have written them a letter dealing with that circumstance. But then look at the second part in verse 10. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. 
So what had happened, the church had heard this letter from Paul, and they had basically isolated themselves from the world, stepped completely back from the world, and they were sort of living like maybe monks, I guess. I don't know. They had completely pulled themselves back. And Paul says, no, 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 you totally misunderstood what I was trying to say. I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Like Paul's saying, literally, you would have to disappear. You would have to be, you'd have to like come to faith in Christ and just be raptured immediately. That's the only way that you can be out of this world. You misunderstood what I was trying to say. Verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what shall I have to do with judging outsiders? Here's what I want to do for you guys this morning. I want to take something away from you by, by God's grace. The thought that you have to judge people who don't know Jesus, I'll just take it away from you. You don't have to do it. It's gone. You don't have to stick a meme on your Instagram that judges people outside of the faith. Isn't that great? That was one of the things that God did for us when we were in Indonesia. We're looking at people who are idolaters, and we're thinking, what is wrong with them? And then I read this verse, and God was like, well, what's wrong with you? And then I get to verse chapter 6, and God's like, see, you were once an idolater. There were things that were more important to you than me. And then God said to me in my heart, actually, sometimes there's still things that are more important to you than me. But my grace has saved you from that. See, I'm afraid, here's the thing, another thing about being a missionary, we get to live outside of our own culture, and then we get to look back at it from Indonesia. And, and, and it's just an opportunity, so you know, take it for what it is, but I'm afraid that the American church culture has gotten in a position where we say to people, you need to clean yourself up just a little bit and then you can know Jesus. But that is not the message of the gospel. In fact, Paul says, you, you don't have to judge them. What if, even Paul himself, what do I have to do with judging those outside He says, that's God's job. There's a time, there's a place, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do that. It says in the next verse, he says, is it, is it not... Those inside the church whom you are to judge, God judges those outside. Purge yourself from the evil one among you. Listen, if someone doesn't know Jesus and they're living in sin, that's, that's just like standard fare. What do we expect? They don't know Jesus. But grace, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11, is a beautiful thing. And as you get out there and you're rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Jesus, you're there to invite them to know him. All that stuff that they're doing, all the sin, all the things that are present in their life, God would love to deal with that. But what he wants to do is he wants you to know them, to love them, to invite them into a relationship with him. Last verse and we're going to finish up. 1 Peter 3 15 through 18. 
1 Peter 3, 15 through 18. You know, do you remember what Peter said about Paul's writings? He's like, they're kind of hard to understand sometimes. So I feel like Peter was trying to deal with that a little bit here, and he's trying to simplify things. 1 Peter 3, um, make sure I got the right one here. Yep, 15 through 18. But in your hearts, regard Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, first, the meme, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 meme, let me tell you that what I'm about to read, that's not what, his, that's not what that was. Because listen to this. This is how we want to inter- interact with people. Be always prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not everyone's going to like what you have to say, but you, you're in control of how you say it. I talk to my eight-year-old daughter about this all the time. The words you used were, okay, the way you said it didn't work. Does that make sense? The words you used were, okay, the way you said it doesn't work. And when you're sharing the gospel, it's huge. It's the same words, but how you say it makes the biggest difference. So that when they, revi- they, they, they slander against you, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put them to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh. We are made alive in the spirit. That's what we really want to see, guys. We want to go out with, with loving respectful, kind attitudes and say the truth in love. It's, a, it's, a, it's not that the message changes, but how we do it is so, so important. And when you do that, people will know the difference. They'll know if you're just throwing a judgment at them or if you actually want the greatest thing in the world for them, for their heart to change, for them to be brought into a relationship with Jesus. And, and they'll know it. They'll feel it. Some people will still not like it. We can't change that, but we can do what God has called us to do. And, and, and I believe if Centerpoint does that, you will see a difference. You will see people coming to know Jesus because the Bible says, and Jesus says this very clearly, there are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You've got to have a little baggie full of spiritual snacks. And you offer those spiritual snacks. And hungry and thirsty people will take it. Other people will say, no thanks. But those who are hungry and thirsty, that God has began to do that work in the heart beforehand. And that's what we've seen happen in Indonesia. Those 500 Bible studies, we've taught, we've, through our network of people that we've trained, we've probably talked to thousands and thousands of people. I kid you not. The result, only 500 Bible studies. Similarly, you talk to everyone, give them a chance. Just give them a chance. First five people, nothing. Who knows? You get to that sixth, seventh, eighth person, all of a sudden, someone talked to them 10 years ago. They just read a Bible at a Motel 6. Something happened. God started to draw. They will say, you know, that, that, that actually tastes really good. And you say to them, well, there's a lot more where that came from. Would you like to try some more? And you invite them into your home. You invite them into a Bible study. You invite them to church. You, there's so many opportunities. I just want to tell you guys, the difference between a missionary and someone who's not a missionary it's just where you live. We feel like God's called us to Indonesia. You feel like God's called you here. 
Other than that, there's no difference. Same struggles, same up and downs. As long as our heart is to know God, to love him, and to serve him, he will use us to reach the people around us. So, get back to you guys. Thank you very much, Daniel. Wasn't that great? I want to say this. Um, after the service, Daniel and Carrie will be over here. And I, I want to challenge you to not only thank them for what he had to share, but if God has landed on your heart, you need to get behind them financially. You know, missionaries don't like to always talk about this, but they have financial needs. And if God has prod in your heart to stand with them on a regular basis, talk to them about it.